Thank you so much for tonight. Please be with me, uh, Lord, as we look at the fall of Solomon. And I am humbled because I am not better than Solomon. None of us are. And so already begin to root out our pride, Lord, and show us our sin that we may run to you for mercy and grace. Lord, I pray that we would be sobered by this text and that it would cause every single person in this room to run to Jesus tonight and to find their hope and satisfaction and happiness and significance and security in him. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. About five years ago, um, I got married and I had 11 groomsmen. I know, we had a lot, a lot of big family, a lot of, a lot of friends. And one of my groomsmen, his name was Jacob. Jacob and I grew up together uh, around, uh, we met at public school. My dad actually led his older brother to, to, uh, to Christ, who then led his family to Christ. And so Jacob and I, went, we went to the same church. We grew up going to the same school, went to the same middle school, the same high school. We, we were in the same small group from sixth grade all the way to our senior year. Literally, like all, what is that, seven years? Pretty much, sixth grade, all the way through high school. We were in the same small group. We walked to school together. Uh, we, got, we both got saved at, I believe he got saved at a summer camp, at least I did. We professed Christ, we were both baptized, we both learned how to preach, we were both taught how to preach together um, by our youth pastor, and Jacob was a really gifted guy. He was so funny. He could do every accent. You know those people that can literally do every accent alive. They're hilarious. And uh, that was Jacob, just a, a ball of joy. Well, when I turned 19, I left home. I left Marietta and I went to Thousand Oaks where I met Caitlin and I went off to school. And around that time, uh, I started to see a shift in Jacob's life. I was pursuing ministry and he went into the Marines and... During that years after I left, Jacob's faith and life just started to go downhill. Started in the Marine Corps, it's really rough. And so he's working in the jails, started talking like the Marine Corps, swearing every other word, um, into, into alcoholism, getting drunk, pursuing his lusts after women, um, sleeping around. And that was kind of like after I, I left, uh, I, that's all what was going on. And so when he's standing there at my wedding, I know that he is not walking with the Lord. And it's sad. And three weeks later, we pack up our stuff and Caitlin and I move to Rockford. And I lose touch. I, the last thing I knew is that he was pursuing his desires. He was done with the church, at least the church we grew up in. There's bitterness, pride, anger. He had a great fall. 1 Kings 11, our text tonight, I'm asking the same question. Why and how did my buddy fall? In 1 Kings 11, that's a rhetorical question. 1 Kings 11, 1 through 13, we need to ask, well, the whole point of the sermon is to ask the question, why and how did King Solomon fall? away from grace. He's not mentioned in the rest of the Bible. 
in the Hall of Faith, Hebrews 11. We don't know if he will be there on that day when you see the Lord. But why and how this great fall? That's, my, that's the question. It's a sobering question. What caused such a catastrophic fall? Why do people reject Christ? Why do some of your friends who grew up in the church no longer walk with Christ? How come people who never grew up in the church, how come they reject Christ? It's all the same answer. The Bible's answer is really simple. Sin. Sin is the cause of rejection to Christ. Sin in the heart of man is the reason for evil and wickedness and brokenness and suffering and pain and misery and guilt and shame. Every wrong thing that we see in this world is an effect of sin and the presence of sin. And we live in a world that's trying to figure out all this problem. They don't call it sin. They're trying to figure it out, but they have no answer. And so we know that the answer is sin, but I want to go deeper into it with you and looking at six points six points on regarding sin and we want to be a good doctor we're a good doctor we have our patient the patient is solomon why what's the symptoms why why did he do this what's wrong with him so we got six points and the first point is i want to look at the diagnosis of sin I want to analyze sin. So what's the diagnosis? So point number one, the diagnosis of sin. And I want to, so you could write down that point, the diagnosis of sin, verses one through two. So read with me in the text. What is the diagnosis of sin? Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from, all, from, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel in Exodus thirty six sixteen, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you. Why? For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. And Solomon clung to these in love. First Kings one through ten. First Kings one through ten. If you read it from the narrative perspective, from the author, it's they're very positive. We see Solomon is, is given the kingdom. He restores peace in the kingdom. There's rest. There's uh, his men are happy. His servants are happy. He builds this temple. The Lord descends upon the temple. He has this great dedication. Everyone from every nation are coming to him for wisdom. The Lord has blessed him with riches. And then we get to verse or chapter 11. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. The diagnosis of sin. What is sin? I think it's a common misconception and really the result of bad biblical teaching that many of you and many of the church today think that sin is just bad behavior. It's just, it's just acting out. It's not, it's not really a big deal. It's like getting... It's like, you know, when I was in elementary school, if we, if we disrespected the teacher or something, I had to go change my card, like, to a different color. Anyone do that? No. You guys know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, I just got to change my card from green to yellow. Okay? It's not a big deal. 
right? That, that's sin in our eyes. It's like getting a parking ticket. It's, it's not a big deal. Ah, the Lord will just forgive it. That's how we view sin in this culture. It's not a big deal. But what is sin? If I could quote a rapper, I am. Timothy Brendel. He says, Matthew Bloomquist maybe knows the song. Sin, sin is any thought that is not morally pure. Sin is loving anything else more than the Lord. Sin is breaking his laws, forsaking his commandments. Sin is hatred for God. It's blatantly satanic. That's sin. But as we see in the text, sin is the explicit breaking of God's commands. God gave his people a command. What does it say in verse 2? He said to the people, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn your heart away from their gods. Now, God, what's the big deal with marrying foreign women? This is the Old Testament. But the New Testament would have an equivalent verse. Paul would say in, in the Corinthians, you shall not be unequally yoked. You shall not yoke yourself, become one with someone who is not a believer. Why? Because they will pull your heart away from the Lord. God, aren't you the maker of marriage? What's the big deal? You know, why can't Solomon do this? God is more concerned about the heart of man by Solomon's heart turning away from God himself. That's the big thing. The reason for Solomon's fall starts with his relationship with God. It's not that there was a bunch of pretty women. It's that he was forsaking God. God in his first command said, you shall have no other gods before me, before my face. Solomon disregarded that. It's an idolatry problem. He chose the gifts over God himself. And that's what sin is. It's active rebellion. It is trusting in anything but God for your happiness, your hope, your significance, and your security. That's idolatry. And so that's the diagnosis. We could say, okay, he committed adultery, but what's the root cause of adultery? I've had people come in to the counseling room. Matt has had people come into the counseling room. Those who have committed adultery against their spouse. And you know what's usually the case? Is that it wasn't just out of the blue they committed adultery. They didn't just wake up and say, you know what, today I'm going to commit adultery against my spouse. No. There are layers going all the way back to a love and affection, placing the, their love and affection upon another person rather than their spouse. And what does Solomon do here? For King Solomon loved Many foreign women. The word love means he had an affection, a deep affection for. And, and look what happened. Then it says that they, uh, they will turn away your heart. They will change your orientation. Instead of looking towards God, you're going to look towards them. And then in verse 2 at the very end, it says that Solomon clung to these in love. That's the effect of sin. That's, what, that's the nature of sin. It's a deep affection for things other than God. And then it's a joining of yourself to those things. That's what the word cling to means. He clinged, he clung to these foreign women. He, it, it means to join together, to stick firmly to. It's the same word when God says to Adam and Eve in the garden, a man must leave his father and mother and cleave 
to his wife, to cling to his wife, and the two should become one flesh. So instead of treasuring God, you treasure his gifts. Here's the application. A great fall. Many of you, maybe you've already had it. Maybe you're in the midst of it right now. A great fall always begins with cherishing and clinging to things other than God. That is sin, which results, sin lures us away from God, just like Nemo going to touch the boat, right? It lures him away. And then what happens? He gets caught. caught. That's right. And we know that the wages of sin is death. That's what sin does. It, It lures us away from God's safety, from God's blessing. And there's blessing when we obey God and sin lures us away from that blessing and leads to death. Sin is the active worship of everything but God. But the second thing is, where does sin come from? Solomon, where, was Solomon a victim of sin? Was sin somewhere out there in the ether? And then it's like, you know what? That guy's Solomon. I'm gonna go get him right now. And Solomon's just a victim of maybe, you know, if Solomon had a therapist, his therapist would probably be like, no, Solomon, it's not your fault. It's the people around you, you know? You're good, you're, you, you know, here, here, take some of these pills. That will actually help bring your anxiety down. Or, or here, take this medicine or go see this doctor. It's all physical things. It's not a spiritual issue. That's the point. What's the origin? Where did this sin come from? Why, Solomon, why? Why did he fall? Point number two, the origin of sin. The origin of sin Why do you, student, do the things that you do? Where do our desires for sin come from? And yes, I'm assuming that you sin, because I know you do. Where does that come from? My friend, who I mentioned, Jacob, who was following the Lord, so I thought, how did this happen? Where did that evil come upon? Where where did it come from? Look at verse 3 through 4. Look at verse 3 through 4. Actually, start in verse 2. You shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you. For surely they will turn away your heart from their gods, after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. That's a thousand women in his harem, pretty much. And concubines were like secondary wives, okay? And his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. The origin of sin. In verses 2 through 4, five times a word is spoken. What word is it? Heart. It's the heart. Five times. Where did this come from? The heart. It all started with the turning of his heart. His heart went after other gods. His heart was not truly to the Lord. Verse 4, as as the heart of David was. The origin of sin is the heart of man. Now, I'm not talking about the muscle that pumps in your chest. What does it mean? What is the heart in the biblical language? Yeah, it's a spiritual aspect. So the heart consists of your will, your emotions, and your mind, your conscience. It's all of who you are. It's the engine of who you are. 
Remove the engine, there's no car. The heart is who you are at the core. And all throughout Scripture, God's main concern is always the heart, not your behavior, not your moralism. Just because you look good on the outside, God looks deeper into the heart. Out of the heart flows the springs of life. But really, does sin come from the heart? Turn with me to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Let's ask Jesus. Jesus, you're the best uh, counselor. If I have a problem, you're going to give me the truth. You're truly God and truly man. I wonder if our secular psychologists would give the same answer as Jesus here. Mark chapter 7, verse 14. See, our world's counsel is the problem is everyone but you. It's everything but you. But what does Jesus teach? Mark 7, 14. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come goodness, love, justice, (laughs) patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. For out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, Pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and they are what defile a person. This is what theologians call indwelling sin. David says in iniquity we are born. We're born dead in sin. And if you are a believer, though sin no longer has dominion over you, the truth is that we still have indwelling sin. We sin, the origin of sin is, is in the heart of man. Romans 5, 12. Where did this come from? Well, when Adam sinned, something happened. And Romans 5, 12 tells us, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that is Adam, and death through sin. So death is the result of sin, and everyone dies. And so death spread to all men because all sinned, and Romans three twenty three falls short of the glory of God. So why do you do the things that you do? Why do our friends walk away from the faith? Why do people reject Christ? It's because of indwelling sin. Our nature, our desires, our hearts are deceitfully wicked. They deceive us. And we, what's so crazy right now is that we live in a culture, in a time in society that truth is defined by what you feel. What you feel about yourself equals who you are in our time and age. So if I feel like a woman on the inside, 
then I'm really a woman and now I need to go get a surgery to match my body with my mind. Does that make sense? When scripture says the heart is deceitfully wicked, it's the exact opposite. And some of you are drinking this stuff from the culture like it's Kool-Aid. You love it. You listen to it. You watch it. I've not met one student who's fallen away from the Lord, who wasn't influenced by influencers on social media or TikTok, Snapchat. Every person that I know of that has come out of the closet as homosexual or trans, they've all started listening to the world and these influencers, these LGBTQ plus influencers, literally being groomed by them. They're predators. And the effects... If you go through with becoming, going trans, transgender, you are 45% more likely to commit suicide. It's literally a death sentence. And our culture praises it. Out of the heart. It's the heart though. And I'm sad for these people because they've been told a lie and they're believing it. It is sad. Some of you have dear family, friends, family members, and you weep over them. You pray for them. And I pray for them too. That the truth would set them free. And God, they're not too far gone. They're not. If we're going to get to. <laughs> we're all born sinners. We're all enslaved to sin. And just those words, they're not the worst. Our lying, our deceiving hearts, sensuality. Some of you in here who think just because your, your, your families are Christians, you come to church, that you're not that bad of a sinner. That is a lie from the pit of hell. All of us are wicked. All of us are wicked from the heart. That's the origin And this leads into probably the third observation, which is the most disturbing, and this is the subtlety of sin. So we've looked at the diagnosis of sin, the origin of sin, and now the subtlety of sin. The subtlety of sin. When you're reading 1 Kings, (laughs) the story of Solomon, the fall is so abrupt, it just shocks us. Chapter 1 is good news. We have a new king. Chapter 2, there's peace. Chapter 3, there's rest in the land. Five, the, 4 through 5 through 6, there's the building of the temple. People are happy. God is there. He's blessing Solomon. He's come to him twice. All this blessing, all this rest. The nation's coming to him. And then chapter 11 is so abrupt. It just... Seems like it comes out of nowhere. The subtlety of sin. On June 24th, 2021, at 1.22 a.m., there was a 12-story beachfront condominium complex, like this big building in Miami. And it was in Miami, a very nice, luxurious neighborhood. It's where you would want to live. And it collapsed killing 95 people last year. Everyone was shocked by it. And it's one of the worst engineering failures ever. What caused it? 
Did it just happen? Just fall over? (laughs) The main contributing factor under investigation was long-term degradation of reinforced, reinforced concrete structural support in the basement level parking garage under the dwelling units due to water penetration and corrosion of the reinforcing steel. So in the basement, unseen, no one could see it, just a little bit of water trickling in over time, eroding, 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 and then all of a sudden, a fall. These things don't just happen out of the blue. The subtlety of sin. Sin is subtle. It gradually grows and grows. It slowly eats your soul and erodes your faith. And just like the 12-story building, it happens out of sight. Inwardly, the heart. That's where it starts. And it's like a weed that grows and grows around the beautiful lily and then chokes it out slowly but surely like a boa constrictor doesn't kill its prey right away. It strikes it, stuns it. And then what does it do? It wraps around it. And it slowly squeezes the life out of... That is the subtlety of sin. The people living in that condo, they had no idea. And some of you tonight, you have been slowly drifting away. Slowly eroding. Your faith slowly corroding. And you don't even know it. It's no different than Solomon. Verse 4. It's really sad. Notice what happened. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart. Circle when Solomon was old. Didn't happen when he was young and single. When he was old. Oh, I'll get my life back to the Lord you know, later in life. I want to give these young years to myself when he was old. He couldn't be more than 50 years old, probably around Pastor John's age, actually. But all throughout life, Solomon had made small compromises. Just a little bit of here and a little bit of there. And a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And slowly but surely... It all comes crashing down. James 1.14, But when each person is tempted, when he is lured by his, and enticed by his own desire, then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Many of you are currently living in sin, yet you do not realize it. You're slowly being choked out. You're, you've been making little compromises here and there, and you've been drifting away. How did my buddy Jacob get to where he was in life? Little compromises. Little sins. How did that girl who who was a church girl, used to sing praises to the Lord, confess doctrines, and, and, and was so conscious about what she wears, and now she looks exactly like the world. She, she's going after her own lust and whatever guy that she could find to give her affirmation. What happened? Slow compromises. A slow eroding. How did I get that eating disorder? How did that develop in my life? Slow compromises. Small compromises. 
How did I get so deep into sexual sin with my boyfriend or girlfriend? (laughs) Small compromises. Just little things. Just little things. How did that pastor fall away from Christianity? Small compromises. Romans 1.18 tells us that these things happen because people exchange the truth about God for a lie and they worship the creature rather than the creator. And Hebrews 2.1 gives believers a stark warning. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. Lest we drift away. When I was growing up in Southern California, when we would go out surfing, we would go right out in front of you know, I would go right in front, of, out in front of my parents so I would see where I'm at. But sometimes the rip current underneath the water, you don't even know it's there, but it's pulling you out to sea. And so you're just paddling along, just doing fine, and then you look back and you are hundreds of yards down the other way and out, far out, and you didn't even notice it. That's what sin does. Slow compromise, you just drift away. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation, Hebrews 2.1 says. And this leads to the fourth aspect, and that is the tragedy of sin. The tragedy of sin. Look at verses 5 through 8. 5 through 8. For Solomon went after, he didn't just love these wives, he didn't just marry them, but he went after Ashereth, the goddess of the Sidonians. That is a fertility god. So it's a, a cult prostitution. Yes, you know, yes, I don't have to explain it. And after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites, the, the, one of their practices was to, uh, was to sacrifice their children, to burn them on the altar. No different than abortion, just out of the womb. It's the same thing. It's a demonic practice. Solomon went after it. It says he went after them. So verse six. So Solomon did what was evil on the side of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord. His heart was not completely with the Lord as David, his father, had done. Then Solomon, he didn't just go after these gods. He built high places for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination. Uh, abomination of the Ammonites on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifice to their gods. The king who built a temple for Yahweh is now building temples for pagan demonic gods. That is a tragedy. The tragedy of sin. I don't think we take sin seriously enough. My sixth grade small group leader's name was Pat Wilkes. Pat was a principal of a school. And he was the children's pastor at the church that I grew up at. Faith Bible Church. One thing I remember most about Pat is that every week he would have me and my buddy Jacob, who I mentioned earlier, and my cousin and all the other sixth graders over. We would have a Bible study. But the best part, I don't even remember what we studied. I'm such a junior higher, right? All I remember was the cookies that he would make. They were just so good. Like they would just melt in your mouth. I don't like hard crispy cookies. I like the, like pretty much it's like dough. You know, it's still like, you know, it's just runny, really good. And these cookies were to die for. He's a sweet man, served the Lord. Years later, he uh, married a woman named uh, Lenny and they had four daughters and he was the children's pastor at our church. Beautiful family. 
Two, three years ago, Pat openly rejected Christ. And out of the blue, he up and left his family. And he divorced his wife, left them to pursue a relationship with a man that he had secretly been pursuing for years, but no one knew. And so now you have a mother, a wife, with four precious daughters who's been abandoned by a man who left them for a man. The tragedy of sin. He left his first love. Not just his wife, but the Lord. He left his first love. Tragic. Was homosexuality the problem here? No. It was a symptom of a greater problem, an inward problem that was stirring for many years. It was the result of the act of choosing to trust in and to cling to his own lust and deceitful heart. And even if he went after another woman, the truth would still be there. That when we sin, we are choosing to go after our lust rather than God. We are committing spiritual adultery against God. It's the subtle idolatry and it's the tragic, it's a tragedy. And it's exactly what happened with Solomon. 1 Kings 3.3 says that Solomon loved the Lord walking in his statues of David his father. And then we get the 1 Kings 11.1. And now Solomon loved many foreign women and clung to them. So the story starts off with him loving God and ends with him rejecting God. That's a tragedy. I love what this commentator says. He says, a story that begins with Solomon loved Yahweh and ends with King Solomon loved many foreign women. How these book in text should sober us. Question for all of us. Where are my affections has an imperceptible drift taken place in them over the years? Am I headed for tragedy because I have left my first love? Are you headed for tragedy? Where are your affections? God cares about the heart. Where are your affections? Are they slowly drifting? Point number four. The consequences of, sorry, five, the consequences of sin. The diagnosis of sin, we saw. The origin of sin, the subtlety of sin, the tragedy of sin, and now the consequences of sin. Look at verse nine. Look at verse nine. How does the Lord respond? And the Lord was gracious with Solomon. No. The Lord was angry with Solomon. Because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. Twice! God had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, Since this has been your practice, not just a one-time thing, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. In other words, my presence will leave you. My blessings will leave you. And so plainly in the text, what is the consequences of our sin? Answer, the active wrath of God. The active wrath of God. Sometimes we forget, yes, that God is love, but that God is wrath. 
We don't like to think about this in our culture. We don't like to, we like to sweep this one under the rug. Solomon, whose heart was made to worship God, had prostituted it out to other lovers. And, and we don't think about this enough. We like to say, well, God will certainly be forgiving. Certainly, he, he won't care that much. But God's anger is not like our anger. Our anger is reactive. It's emotive, right? We, we're very emotional. It's out of control. God's anger is the, ab, uh, uh, is the opposite. It is in control. It is just. It is righteous. And it flows out of his jealousy. Colin read that. God is a jealous God. Not jealous like us. Jealous because, you know, I wish I was with that girl or I wish I was with that guy. I'm not jealous like that. But it flows out of his jealous jealousy for God is a jealous God. Meaning, this is what this means. For God to be a jealous God means that he has an exclusive uh, an exclusive claim on you. Exclusive. He is your creator. He's your owner. And in a sense, when we come into a relationship with God, it's like a marriage. And God has exclusive claim on you. So that when you leave him, he's filled with wrath and anger. He's angry about it. Think about it this way. By virtue of this ring here is a sign that I have an exclusive claim on Caitlin. All you men in this room and women are off limits. She is mine. And I am hers, right? She's got an exclusive claim on me. Now, it would be unnatural of me not to be filled with wrath and anger if Caitlin broke the covenant arrangement and pursued another man. In fact, if I responded, ah, not a big deal. What would you say to me? It is a big deal. <laughs> it is a big deal. Yeah, exactly. Some people in our culture be like, yeah, she needs to go. Yeah, obviously, you've, you've kind of been a jerk and you haven't really cared for her. You don't love her, so it's all, it's all good. She's just following her heart. That's what our culture would say. But, but you would probably say, if, if I did not care, do I even have any love and affection for her? No, but I do. So therefore, I care. And in the same way, God has an exclusive claim on you so that when you go after other gods, when you go after sin, he is justly and righteously angry. Does that make sense? Because he has an exclusive, he's jealous. You are mine and I am his. That's why God is angered with Solomon and with sin. God hates sin. And my concern for you tonight, believer, is that you have been lullabied to sleep by your sin and lust. It's not that big of a deal. when it is and some of you who are not a believer you don't think it's a big deal when it is God's wrath is upon you now listen to this believer it's a warning Hebrews 10 26 for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth of the gospel there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but rather a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries God will consume you in his wrath if you reject him 
And so we need to flee the wrath of God by turning lastly to the cure of sin. The cure of sin. A lot of bad news, but there is good news. We need to flee the wrath of God to the cure of sin. Look at verse 12 through 13. Yet for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it in your days. I will not bring this, I will not tear the kingdom away from you. So God is pronouncing judgment, but he says, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. Verse 13. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David, my servant, and for the sake of Jerusalem that I have chosen. You know what just just sticks out to me in this text, in this passage here, is that amidst the symphony of God's wrath and judgment, we see little notes of mercy, little notes of grace. Kind of like someone in a prison, dark, nowhere to go, but they have this little window and little light, rays of light come in. Filled with darkness, but then there's just little, little hope, little hope. And in this text, we see that I will not tear, I will not tear it in your, away from in your days. I will not bring this judgment in your days, but I will do it to your son. And I won't tear away all the kingdom for the sake of David. I'm still going to show mercy. And here's the good news. This is the good news of the Bible. This is the good news of Christianity. This is the most important point here. That though we are unfaithful, though we sin, and though our desires change, the good news is that the one true living God does not change. And he will always be faithful to his covenant, even when we are not. God is faithful. We change. He doesn't. And so sin's cure is to, by faith, hide yourself in the grace and mercy of God. We flee the wrath of God by running to the mercy and, and grace of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ and the better Solomon, the righteous king who kept the covenant and yet was crucified on a cross for sinners. And he bore the ugliness of sin. You think about the cross. You think of the blood, the stripes, the, 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 the gore. He was marred. You could hardly recognize him. That's what sin looks like. It's ugly. It's disgusting. And then you have the guilt of sin, the shame of sin placed on Jesus Christ. And worse, the wrath of God poured out on him for sinners like you and me, for people like Solomon, for people like Pat Wilkes, for people like my buddy Jacob, and for people like us. The wrath of God on Jesus Christ for sinners. That's the good news, that the wrath doesn't fall on you, but on us. Or, sorry, on Jesus. It falls on Jesus. But this only applies to those who look to him by faith. It only applies to those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. That's the good news. That's the future hope. That's the cure for sin. It is Jesus. And he could become yours by faith, by trust. It's a simple Just as when you have nowhere else to go, just like a student who failed miserably in life, ran away from home, was left in the the dust, nowhere else to go, and the only thought that comes to their mind is, I gotta go home. And they come home. Come home to Christ. 
you will only be received with open arms. He will save you. The promise is for you that if you receive him by faith, he will receive you. What a joyful day. So yes, it's a dark passage, but there is good news that there is a better Solomon and we could find mercy and grace in Christ. Five years went by. Caitlin was four weeks away from giving birth to Eden when I hopped on a plane to go to a pastor's conference. And I went with Daniel, went with Colin and Paul Stewart and Sam Stiesel was there and Derek Wettstein and uh, Josh Thor. Just a great time. And Matthew Bloomquist was there. We went to this conference. It was a pastor's conference, and it was just amazing. It's filled with all these pastors and elders. They, they love the Lord, these leaders. It's a conference not for people that reject Christ. It's a conference for those that love Christ, right? And so I'm there, and there's so much joy and excitement. And I'm seeing all these old friends that I had not seen, that I went to school with, that I hadn't seen in a long time. And while I was there, in between one of the sessions, I was eating lunch with some of my buddies. I was just catching up when I receive a text from my old youth pastor. He was there. And the text was a selfie of him and my old friend, Jacob. And my thought is, what? I was just shocked. I was like, why? This is a conference for, pa- for people who love Jesus. Why is he here? Like, no, I'm not like mad. I'm just like questioning. <laughs> like, what? When did this happen? I was shocked. Because the last thing I heard is that he married some, some foreign woman from Mexico. He did. Who was not a believer. Pursuing his own lusts. Got married, moved, moved to Idaho. That's all I had known. This is, now I'm seeing him at this conference. And this was the best part of the whole week that I was there. No offense to the guys I went with. Is that as I was catching up with him? And (laughs) though he was pursuing his own desires and running away from God, he tells the story of how God was running after him the whole time. And not only him, but also his wife. His wife got saved. They both were baptized, they're both following the Lord. And if he were here tonight sharing his story, I know for certain he would tell you plainly to your face, I made a lot of mistakes. The consequences of sin are deep. Do not follow in my footsteps. Do not forsake the Lord. Do not go down that path. And if you have already, turn back to him. Embrace Christ. Walk in the light as he is in the light. And the blood of Jesus, his son, will cleanse you from all sin. Solomon was not too far gone. Jacob was not too far gone. You are not too far gone. Come to Jesus.